Welcome back to another episode of Not a Girl Boss. I'm McKenna. And I'm Peyton. And we're just going to jump right into things this week. Yeah, so we've had a pretty good week, I would say. Um, At least for me, I feel like it was definitely um, better than last week. Um, A couple of my classes were canceled this week, so I feel like I had a bit of a like lighter workload and things but this weekend I have to work on a really long essay so definitely making up for that um but yeah how about you yeah this week was definitely an improvement from last week I think I finally had a chance to breathe which was nice um I got to go back to one of my clubs that I'd missed for the past couple weeks just because of the chaos of midterms it was really nice to be back around everybody Mm -hmm. um And, you know, the storm is about to start right back up again next week, but it was nice to kind of have a breath of fresh air and honestly makes me feel more ready to take on everything that's about to come in these next few weeks with finals because apparently here we transition directly from midterms to finals. There's really no in-between. I don't know how that works because that makes no sense, but that's kind of how things operate here. So yeah, I had my week of zen and now it's time to get back to work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I went to a really cool event last night on our campus. Um, I feel like I don't take enough advantage of, like, the cool things that we usually have going on here, but, um, I was able to go to, like, a lecture and, like, book signing, um, for the artist Japanese Breakfast. I don't know if some of our listeners know who that is. Her real name is Michelle Zahner, um, and she wrote the book Crying in H-Mart, which apparently has been on, like, the New York Times bestselling list for, like, 30-plus weeks or something, which is really crazy. Um, It's her first book, and it's gained, like, a lot of, like, critical acclaim, I guess, and, um, yeah, she has, like, her own band, Japanese Breakfast, and... They were recently just nominated for two Grammys, I think. I think she was nominated for, like, Best New Artist, and then Olivia Rodrigo won that. Um, But she makes, like, kind of, like, cool indie, like... I don't know how to describe it. Alternative, or...? Maybe a little alternative, but it's, like... um, It was interesting. She was talking about how she loves the artist Bjork. Um, at her lecture the other night and I feel like her music emulates that a little bit it's kind of like dream Mm -hmm. pop a little bit it's very unique very cool um but I read her book last year I think last summer actually and I just fell in love with her book like it it genuinely it was one of my favorite books I had read of the past year But definitely, like, a book I'm always kind of thinking about and going back to. And I feel like that's kind of how you know that a book is good. Like, when it sticks with you and, like, you always remember it or think about it. Um, So I was, like, really excited that she was coming onto campus. I was like, how did they manage to get her? It was um, a part of, like, the... AAPI like student association that's on our campus um so it was a really cool event and I got to meet her and I got a photo with her it was very cool 
Um, she was very nice. But yeah, so I've just been thinking a lot about that book again and how much I enjoyed it and how much a lot of the like overarching themes from that book I think are really relatable. Uh, even though, you know, a lot of her book is about her being um, biracial and being half Korean. Um, it, it talks a lot about her identity with her culture and her heritage. Um, and even though I can't necessarily relate to that because I'm white, I feel like having these conversations about not really understanding your identity or feeling confused when it comes to your identity is I think a universal like theme and like concept that like so many people can relate to and I think that that was a part of her book that really stuck out to me it also kind of talks about the like complex relationship that she had with her mother who was Korean um and how you know they kind of like experience a lot of like conflict and tension with one another like over the years and her mother ended up getting diagnosed with cancer when she was a bit older and so then it was kind of coming to terms with the relationship with her mom and essentially like her trying to care for her mother as she was dying so the book also kind of talks a lot about grief and how she felt as though she like was a bit disconnected from her korean identity after her mother passed away because her mother was like her direct um link to that and so her trying to like grapple with how she can like still feel Korean enough. She was talking about how she struggled with that aspect of her identity and not feeling like she could ever fulfill like the role that her mother had as like a Korean like maternal figure. Um, it's just, it's like a really great book. It talks a lot about food too, how she like connected back to her culture through food. Uh, I think a lot of people can also relate to food being like a source of comfort and a, like a sense of like community that they can share with other people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could talk about it forever, but I like genuinely recommend uh, people reading it if you know you're looking for a cool new book to read and like listening to her music. Her music's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to steal your copy now because I feel like I need to read this book. I mean, definitely, I'm sure that I could relate on some level to the conversation about identity, especially because I'm also biracial. Um, I feel like there would be a lot of similarities there with, you know, figuring out who you are. And I don't know, I, it just, it sounds like a really, a really good book. It makes me think about... Um, like kind of like the book that I always go back to. It's called The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. And it's something, it's nothing like um, crying in H-Mart, but there's something so magical about it. I wish that I could give that book a proper summary, but I just don't think it's possible. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of those books where when I try to explain it to a friend, I feel like 
I just can't ever do it justice. Um, it talks about this traveling circus and the book transcends time periods um, and it follows like these same group of characters. There's an element of magic to it. There's a competition throughout that the two characters don't even realize they're competing against one another until late in the book. And so it's definitely a fantastic read. I mean, I just think the writing is insane. I've mm -hmm. always envisioned it being turned into a movie and having it be some sort of like Baz Luhrmann meets Christopher Nolan. Just mm. the visuals in it would be absolutely stunning. Um, the character, everything about it I think is, is great. And I... Um, typically don't go back and reread books unless it's like a childhood favorite that I'll go back to just for comfort. This is like the one book where I have actually sat down to reread it from start to finish um, as an adult because I actually read it in middle school which looking back I was a bit young for it but rereading it as an adult was equally if not you know even more satisfying. Yeah I feel like I once I go back into reading, uh, in 2021 mainly, um, like during COVID and things like that, I feel like I've found some of those books for me where I'm like constantly thinking about them or something will like remind me of them really randomly. And I am really glad that I reconnected with reading in that way because... I used to love reading as a kid. I would read all the time. I my favorite series was like the Nancy Drew and like Hardy Boy like mystery books. Um and I really loved them and I really wanted to be a writer. Um and yeah, so I I always loved reading and then I think I got into middle school and high school and then, you know, teachers force you to read the books that they assign. And, like, I don't know what, at least in my experience, I usually didn't really love the books that they made me read, or just, like, you know, out of spite, you don't really want to read them, because it's homework, it's not for fun. So, I definitely feel like my love for reading kind of went away, and I also just didn't have the time to read for leisure, because I was in school, or trying to read... Shakespeare or like James <laughs> Joyce and I didn't really want to read that so for me I'm really glad that like I guess with a lot of the downtime I had during COVID and also just a lot of the time that is spent inside instead of going out and stuff um it allowed me to like pick up reading again and I'm genuinely like so happy yeah I did I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know that I can. I wish that I had would I wish that I had reconnected with reading in the same way that you did because it is something that I really would love to do more of and I know that I could make the time for it, but it, it's not really high on my priority list at this point in time if I'm being honest. Mm. Um I read a billion articles for class and yeah. so it just is something especially the articles that we're reading now are pretty dense and so yeah. a lot of the times it's like the last thing I want to do is read another thing. Yeah. But growing up, you said you're interested in mysteries. I think I was definitely the dystopian novel, that was like my thing. Yeah. So whether it was Percy Jackson or the spin-off Heroes of Olympus 
Hunger Games, Divergent, like those were the books that I was obsessed with. And I feel like my interest in reading continued all the way throughout high school. It just kind of, I was able to do it less and less. Um, mm-hmm. But there were definitely still books that stood out to me. Like I read the Silver Linings Playbook sometime in high school and loved it. It's still one of my favorites. I haven't gone back to it in the same way that I have with The Night Circus, but it definitely sits on my shelf as something that I was very happy to have read. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as I I just wish that I would take more time to read. Um, controversial. I did read Where the Crawdads Sing. I didn't know anything about the author until after I had read it. So <laughs> that's that. But I mean, it was a great book. That was one of the only books that I really sat down and read like something brand new this past summer. Um, and it felt really good to get back into reading. So I'm hoping that I actually do that. I asked for a bunch of books for Christmas to all the people who got me books. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. They are sitting on my shelf. They look really pretty. They make great decoration and I will get to them at some point. I am very proud of the bookshelf that I've created. I just don't ask me which ones that I've read because the the ratio of books that I've read to books that I haven't read is very skewed at the moment, and I I will fix it at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm the same. I mean, like I have so many books at home that I haven't read, or like one of my favorite things to do is just like buy books. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I get so into the idea of buying the books, and yeah. like I hear about ones that I want to read, and like I have to get it. Um. I still would love to read, I think it's The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Mm -hmm. That's on my list. I have too many other books that I'm supposed to read before I read that one, but if I were to go to a bookstore today and they had it, I would probably buy it just so that I had it in my shelf for when I got to it. So it's like, you know how they say with food, like your eyes are bigger than your stomach. That's how I feel, but if I were to walk into like a Barnes & Noble or a Books A Million, I would do the exact same thing. Yeah. I definitely bought you books for Christmas. Yeah, you did. Normal people. I will get normal to it. Normal people, yes. I will get to normal people, I promise. I, I love Sally Rooney. She's one of my favorite authors. I've read all three of her books. She only has three. Yeah. I, I read um, Beautiful Worlds, Where Are You? Her newest one, like a month or so ago. I procrastinated reading it purely because... I, like, didn't want to have to wait another, like, three, four years until another Sally Rooney comes out. But I was, like, I had started reading some other book, and it just wasn't doing it for me. And I was, like, I got to go with my tried and true Sally (laughs) Rooney. And it was was great. But I really love her. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I think I got you Hunger by Roxane Gay. Yes, I started that. I did start it. And then I put it down and I haven't returned, but I do love Roxanne Gay. Bad Feminist is definitely on my you know, yeah, top five same. list of books that I've ever read. I think that she is an incredible author. Like her honesty is just unmatched. Like she's just so authentic and real. And I, her voice is something that I, as a writer, just aspire to mm-hmm. like, I aspire to be a fraction of the writer that she is. I would be yeah. so happy just to do that. Um, honestly, this whole conversation about books just makes me think about, or like reading, makes me think about hobbies in general. And I am the type of person who, I mean, I grew up playing sports. So sports, well, I played a sport. I played soccer. That was my hobby. That was my outlet. And so coming to college and kind of losing that outlet because I didn't end up playing, um, 
it's been really interesting because everybody else kind of figured out their hobbies during COVID and they were able, it was like a time to reconnect. And I realized, you know, we were having this conversation the other day. I didn't really have, I mean, I had the same time that everybody else had to, you know, do that. But the summer that COVID was really, you know, in full force, I ended up having to go back to work. I went back to work in June of 2020. I worked at a mall um, and my store brought us back. So I was going to work multiple times a week and I had um, like an internship with the campus magazine. And so I was writing articles every week. So in a lot of ways that summer felt very much like a, like a normal summer, obviously very different, but the, the core or my daily routine was kind of similar to what I had envisioned my summer looking like without COVID. And so obviously it was summertime, so I did have free time, but my free time wasn't dedicated to, to hobbies in the same way. I also think I'm the type of person who has a habit of starting a project and then I have a hard time finishing it because I get distracted by a new idea and then I want to transfer my energy to that new idea. Mm-hmm. And so sticking with something can be a little hard for me. Not with this though. I'm sticking with this. This is not going to be one of those things. I promise. I have figured that out for myself. Um, but yeah, it's been weird because I feel like I've tried to force myself into a couple hobbies. I randomly bought a mini piano, like keyboard on Amazon <laughs> in a moment of thinking that my next hobby was going to be playing piano. Mm. I don't play piano. I have never played an instrument in my life. I could learn. I have the keyboard, but I pivoted. I've tried to tell myself that I was going to make jewelry this semester. I remember that. I have a box of beads that I received for Christmas. I haven't made a bracelet yet. I apologize, but that was the plan as well. Um, Not a girl boss, I think, is the hobby that I think that I found that I truly do enjoy. It doesn't Mm -hmm. feel forced at all. but this whole notion of hobbies and like having things to do outside of work, I feel like I'm still actively trying to figure out what I like to do. Mm-hmm. I wish it was reading. I would love for it to be reading, but is it reading right now? No, it's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess I was one of those people that, I don't know, kind of found different hobbies during COVID, I, but I also think I've always kind of had hobbies purely just because I'm like a creative person in general but I do notice that like if I have free time as much as I would love to like read more and like draw more or paint more or dance more or whatever I find that I like will still go on TikTok or will watch Netflix or YouTube or something. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's like, you know, my brain doesn't want to like do anything or think of anything. And I think that's like fine. But I do, when I do that a lot, I definitely feel a little bit guilty about it. feel like I should be, you know, maybe doing something more productive with my time. Like something creative or something good for my mental health but at the same time I feel like you know what sometimes sitting and like watching TikTok and like not thinking about anything is what I need for my mental health 
even though, yeah, I don't know, uh, people might argue that it, like, rots your brain, and, like, maybe that's true, but, like, sometimes you need that. Yeah, I definitely think that I gravitate way more towards passive activities, like you said, like, with um, TikTok or TV or YouTube, rather than doing something active, just because, I don't know, I feel like all we get is notifications all day every day and so I always feel like you're being simulated in some way or another whether it's being in class and like having to engage in conversation or always being on your phone in some way or feeling like you need to be answering emails and so when you actually have the time to just kind of it's weird because I'm going to say disconnect, but you're still engaging with technology, but mm-hmm. it feels like this sort of mental disconnect where you really don't have to use any brain power. Yeah. You really can just like take a minute. Yeah. Um, that's something that I really like. Um, but I don't know. I feel like with the way things are going now, it'll be very interesting in the next few years to kind of see what hobbies I, I develop once I don't have the pressure of school. Obviously, it'll be, you know, the pressure of a job, but somehow in my mind, I feel like having a nine to five, or if that's where I end up, if I'm guessing I'll have a nine to five, somehow I feel like that'll almost be more flexible or more freeing than this current system where I feel like I always have to be on or like, I don't know, I feel like I'll have more of a work-life balance type of situation Mm -hmm. where... Hopefully I'll have a job where I'm not up till midnight working on something before I go in the next day. So yeah. I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to kind of see how things play mm-hmm. out. Yeah. But. I mean, I guess it just depends how, like, I don't know, how invested you are in your work. I hope that, like, I can have, like, a job where I'm able to, like, literally just, like, shut off at, like, the time where I'm able to <laughs> leave and, like, not bring any of that home or, like have a separation because I think because I do still want to be able to like have hobbies and like have my own like things for myself Mm -hmm. in my personal life because it's like very imperative for me to have those things for my mental health and well-being because I feel like a lot of the hobbies I have do keep me sane in many ways like I do notice that when I like read before I go to bed at night instead of like being on technology or something like that I sleep so much better I fall asleep so much faster like my mind isn't as like crazy as it would be I mean I have anxiety so my mind is always kind of on and it's always racing especially when I'm going to bed at night but like who would have thought like reading before you go to bed like <laughs> actually does help ease your mind um or journaling like I I would consider that a hobby honestly like I I do notice that when I journal less I'm definitely not doing as good but if I journal like every single day like in the morning especially like I'm able to kind of like get my mind in like the right headspace Mm -hmm. or I'm just able to like get my thoughts out in ways that I feel like I'm just not able to like writing and journaling allows me to do that um 
And when I do like end up like drawing or painting or things like that, those genuinely are like really therapeutic. And so like that's why it is important for me to like make time to do those things. Dancing as well, like I'm a dancer, so if Yeah, I'm, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but like I've noticed that it's been difficult for me to dance at like at school like because we lived in a dorm for a while it was very limited space uh and it's a shared space and I found it really hard for me to be able to dance and without having that outlet it has been like hard on my mental and physical well-being just because like I didn't realize that was something that I genuinely needed to do like every day until I wasn't really able to do it as much anymore. So yeah, it's, it is important that I prioritize it because I do notice a difference in how I'm doing when I do those things. And I, um, I think it's important to think about hobbies as like, a way of also taking care of yourself and doing something in your life that doesn't you know revolve around work schoolwork or professional work yeah I think that's exactly what I was going to say honestly that everything that we're pointing to is really all about self-care um and I think that's something that up until recently I thought I was really good at self-care and I thought I understood it I'm like you know, I do my night routine every night. I don't skip. I, you know, take time for myself to listen to podcasts that I like or, you know, watch a show um, for the millionth time because I watch the same shows over and over and over again. <laughs> Shout out to The Vampire Diaries. If it ever leaves Netflix, I will have a problem. <laughs> um, but I thought, you know, that I was really good about self-care and taking time for myself and it hasn't been until recently Um, that I had a conversation with somebody where it kind of pointed to the fact that maybe I don't fully understand self-care because the whole question that they asked me was basically like, what do you do for yourself? And I was like, well, I watch TV and I listen to podcasts. And they're like, okay, everybody kind of watches TV and listen to podcasts. Like, what do you do for yourself? And I realized that I don't have an answer to that question, you know, in the same ways that you might paint for yourself or or dance I don't have an equivalent and I'm okay with not having an equivalent right now but it was definitely an interesting conversation to have because I think a lot of us can get so wrapped up in our day-to-day lives and everything that we're doing and we're thinking that we're that we're taking good care of ourselves um but we might not be um and so that's just been something that more recently I've started to think about and you know I haven't figured out an answer to any of it I haven't changed anything about my day-to-day routine but I think it's worth um contemplating and just kind of sitting down and reflecting and asking yourself you know what do I do for myself Mm -hmm. that makes me happy um and maybe that is watching YouTube I genuinely get a lot of happiness and satisfaction and laughter honestly from watching YouTube I've you know been a fan since like middle school I still follow a couple of the same creators from back then um and so it is a source of like genuine enjoyment for me Um, but it'll, yeah, I mean, I've already said this, it's just kind of figuring out what else, you know, there is to me because 
Yeah. YouTube isn't my only, shouldn't be my only, you know, source of, uh, source of entertainment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess there are a lot of people, you know, that are like in the same boat as you. I feel like just because I might have different hobbies and stuff doesn't, like I said, doesn't mean I'm always like the greatest with them. And I do recognize like, there are times I definitely self-sabotage and like don't follow any routine or like per like I don't know purposely do things that are just like not beneficial for myself and I don't know why I do them I just do but I I think even though you know it's important to like do things that make you feel good and like be kind to yourself with you know, these different hobbies and all these things. But I think sometimes one of the best things that you can do for yourself and one of the greatest forms of self-care is maybe sometimes doing the things that are difficult for you to do and things that you maybe might not want to do but you know are better for you in the long run. And so I'm thinking personally for myself, I have gone to therapy for a while now. I've been going to therapy since I was maybe like 16 and I'm 21 now maybe 15 I don't remember but since I was like at the beginning of high school and I actually don't hate therapy I like I really like my current therapist a lot but it can be difficult and not like the most fun activity in the world to like sit down with somebody and like unpack <laughs> like a lot of things or, or like come to terms with a lot of things about yourself it can be challenging it can bring up a lot of emotions that you don't really want to face um it can i like went to um like therapy through my university for a little bit here and i went every single week and it was group therapy and sometimes i really didn't want to go or like i didn't feel like speaking but I was forced to go and I was forced to speak and I realized that like through forcing myself to do some of those things that I didn't want to do I like gained a lot out of it and it was just better for myself in the long run and so I think sometimes self-care can also involve like doing things for yourself that you like don't really want to do but you know that are better for you yeah I think it's really interesting that you bring up therapy because I've never been myself but honestly through our friendship I feel like I've learned so much about emotional maturity um mm -hmm. and I realized that you know I feel like you grow up and you have a pretty general understanding of feelings and emotions but I wish I remembered the exact thing that you had explained to me. It's like, what is it? Is it three emotions or three feelings? There, there are like a, a set amount of like emotions that we have. Mm -hmm. And it's like um, happiness, um, anger, sadness, um, fear, I think like guilt or shame okay yeah or so something. five not three but yeah yeah but then everything else that you might say that you're feeling like you feel confused or mm. you feel frustrated these are like symptoms of those five yeah. main emotions 
And I had never thought to think of it that way. I feel like I always kind of thought that I was really good at explaining my emotions and explaining my feelings. Um, but since coming to college, I've realized that's a little less true than I thought. Um, I think I'm very comfortable with some emotions, but something like sadness, I think that it's something that I've never really learned how to cope with or this has been my these have been the few years what I've where I've really had to understand how I cope with sadness because for whatever reason I just it wasn't something that I I mean I guess fortunately I didn't have to deal with it a lot growing up and so these unexplainable times of sadness that I've had since coming to college it's been very weird because I feel like my default emotion when I when something's when I'm upset about something, it's usually anger. I feel like that's kind of where mm -hmm. my brain goes. And so for it to go to sadness has been really weird because I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. I mean, I've grown up in a household where we've always really, you know, expressed the importance of being positive and thinking positively, even when things are going badly. And so I've always kind of had that mentality of like, okay, everything happens for a reason. Things are going to get better. And I still genuinely believe that, but it's been hard when those words or and like those things weren't they weren't enough in that moment to really like turn my mood around and so I sometimes have a hard time you know turning to people and really explaining myself in the moment I usually do it at the at the end of whenever I'm feeling you know sad or whatever emotion that it is then I feel like I can go explain it to people but I don't want to be too much of a burden um the exception is my mom I do call my mom, but she's like the only person where I feel like I can call and it, I won't be bothering somebody. Because um, even with you, Peyton, like I don't want to you know, interrupt your weekend and you know put this burden on somebody else just because I'm feeling sad, especially when I feel like I don't have a reason to be sad. You know, everything can be going perfectly fine and then I just feel that way and it'll come out of nowhere. And I think that inability to explain the source of my emotions is what makes it so hard for me to want to talk about them or even fully process it. Cause I think typically I'll just do anything that I can to distract myself. Um, sometimes that works. Sometimes you're able to distract yourself and you get over the mood that you're in. And other times it doesn't matter what you do. You're just kind of stuck in it and it sucks. But I feel like, you know, through our friendship, it's definitely taught me a lot about emotions and you know working towards being more open about them and being more um I don't know just cognizant of the way that you're feeling so that you can at least mm -hmm. try to articulate it better because I think that's something yeah. that a lot of people struggle with it's like if I can't explain how I'm feeling then I'm not going to explain it at all because mm -hmm. it's just easier to not talk about it um but yeah. I hope that like with our generation that's something that people seem to be really pushing more um is having those like open and honest conversations so I don't know it's been a, a learning experience to say the least but yeah. I feel like that's something really valuable that I've learned just through talking to you and like your experience with therapy as a form of self-care um I feel like I kind of I get some of the benefits of therapy <laughs> without actually going myself <laughs> so it's it's been interesting I mean even though I've been to therapy for a while like, I still experience, like, a lot of the things you're talking about. Because, like, first of all, you coming and telling me how you're feeling is not you being a burden at all. But I, I, <laughs> I also, I understand how that feels because I feel the same way mm -hmm. with other people. 
I don't want to be a burden on other people. And even though I know that's not the case, you can't help but feel that it's way. It's so hard because I feel like I'm the first person to tell my friends, like, if anything is going wrong, talk to me. Like, yeah. I want to know. I want to be there to help. Even if I'm just there to listen and purely you just need somebody to, like, vent to, I have no issue being that person. But then when it's me who wants to vent, I have this weird internal struggle of whether or not I should do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel the exact same way. There's a lot of, like vulnerability in you know talking to somebody about how you feel or also just like asking somebody for help like even that just like having to like go up to someone and be like hey like do you mind if we like talk about this like I'm not you know I haven't been feeling that great or like I'm going through this getting over that hurdle of like asking someone to talk can be difficult even Mm -hmm. though a lot of the time most of the time, like if you have like supportive people in your life, good people in your life, they're going to like want to help you and want to talk to you. But it, yeah, it's still really difficult for me. And I, I don't Yeah. Know. So I guess even though I have more experience with like, I don't know, processing emotions and going to therapy and stuff like that, I'm still always learning more about myself and that's you know something that I guess never ends but you know I still struggle with those things sometimes just like every other person so like even though like thank you for the compliment saying (laughs) that you think I'm like emotionally mature or something um you know there's still a lot of like learning to do with that yeah totally so, yeah, this also making me think back to crying in H-Mart, um, you know, because in in that book, like, one of the ways in which she, like, copes with, like, a lot of, like, the grief and, like, the sadness of losing her mom is through music. She's a musician, and then obviously, like, the act of just, like, writing this book in general is, like, how she was able to, like, process what happened to her mom and like Mm -hmm. you know grapple with her Korean identity and everything and I guess it's just making me also reflect upon grief (laughs) grief is like a very you know difficult topic for a lot of people to think about um but I think it's important to kind of hear about how people process that. People process it entirely differently. Um, but after like going to her lecture last night, it had me thinking about it a bit. Um, I feel like I've experienced like a decent amount of grief in my life. Um, I have lost all four of my grandparents. Um, And those have been, like, my real experiences with grief and with loss. I've also definitely grieved the loss of certain relationships in my life. Not necessarily people passing away, but um, grieving the loss of just an absence of someone that, you know, you no longer have a relationship with whether it be a friendship or a family member, Mm -hmm. um, which I argue that sometimes those things 
can be just as painful and just as difficult as like genuinely losing somebody like them passing away I was thinking about you know like the loss of my grandfather in particular I was very close with him um, and he was the last grandparent I lost so in like a strange way I feel like might have been the universe's weird way of allowing me to like have the most amount of time with him because like they knew that I was like really close with him but after you know hearing her like talk about her losing her mother and everything definitely made me think about my grandfather because he's like the closest person that I've lost and I was thinking and I was like you know I don't think that the grieving process is ever something that ends I think it's truly something that you are going through for the rest of your life I just think that through time things might get a little bit easier for you to like handle and manage but for the rest for the rest of your life there's always going to be little things that like remind you of that person or like trigger memories um, or times with that person so I feel like I'm still going through the grieving process of like losing my grandparents and losing my grandfather because that's something that will never really go away and I think that's okay I think it's a sign of like how much that you like love that person and how like important they were in your life um but I feel like for me I I realized that at the beginning of me grieving the loss of my grandfather I don't feel like I felt a lot of emotions about it um I don't think I was like as sad as I intended to or like I thought I would be instead I feel like I have gotten sadder over time I feel like the thing that helped me the most was allowing myself to think about him a lot and like allowing myself to like let those memories come in and like keep talking about him and like keep bringing him up and like being like sad about him and things like that like that's okay and I think like that's what allows him to like still be a part of my life even though he's not here and I think that was that is and was something that has been really helpful for me in terms of like coping with that loss and grieving him like just allowing myself to to like think about him and like let him in and like let those memories in because you feel like you want to repress them because you don't want to be sad um but I honestly find myself like being like happier and like laughing more about those things and being sad which um I I'm like grateful that I'm able to have those memories with him um but yeah like that whole that whole lecture and that whole book makes me think a lot about grief and how people cope with that. Yeah, I've been really fortunate to not have experienced a lot of grief in my life. Um, I have lost family members and those losses have 
you know, obviously meant something to me, but I haven't lost anybody that I was, you know, extremely close with. Um, and it terrifies me. You know, I think yeah. about, you know, the fact that someday I will, you know, lose these people. And I hate thinking about it. I'm the first person to say, like, yeah, the whole idea of death, it just freaks me out. And yeah. I feel like it's because, you know, I've been very lucky to not have any, to not have much experience with it. But because I have no experience with it, I feel like every loss that I, you know, will experience from now on will be that much more, you know, impactful and that much more, like, difficult to process because I have more memories with everybody. It's definitely something that I know I'm going to have to learn how to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a difficult, like you said, it's a very difficult subject. And so having somebody um, like Michelle be able to come to, and, like, talk about it or, like, show that you can talk about it or use different things to cope with it, you yeah. know, yeah. Makes me feel like I, you know, obviously we'll all figure it out. We'll all, we will all have to go through it at some point. And so, I don't know, kind of in the same way that on a much, you know, smaller scale, we're all kind of learning to cope with our emotions on a day-to-day basis. I feel like that preparation helps when, you know, a bigger emotional event happens because then you know that you have, you know, the tools and some of the coping mechanisms to help you deal with the bigger events in yeah. life. Yeah, it's, it's really like, nice to see uh like use her as an example to see how different people deal with grief you know she she is able to use music and writing as like an outlet for her to you know come to terms with like her mother's passing and I feel like seeing that as an example is really helpful for me and like reminds me how much my creativity is important to me how much like dancing and art and all of those things are really helpful for me when it comes to either grieving or just dealing with my emotions and I think it like listening to her definitely helps motivate me to like continue implementing those things because like her, I've realized, like, how important they are for me in just, like, you know, helping me in my, like, day-to-day life, not even with, like, super, you know, large things like the loss of my grandfather, but just in processing, like, regular emotions. They're helpful for a lot of people, and that's why, like, so many people turn to music and writing and art and all of those things, and I agree, like, they're really helpful me too yeah I mean I think it's just a great example of just like advice to give to somebody I feel like you know having a support system that you can rely on is obviously really helpful um and you know turning to those outlets whatever your outlet is whether it's sports or something creative or you know really anything whatever it is that kind of brings you a sense of peace and a sense of comfort Mm-hmm. You know, it's really important to, you know, find out what those things are for you and really, you know, lean into them when you need them. Yeah. And like you said, even sometimes if that means engaging in something that's a little bit harder, but you know it's going to be beneficial in the long yeah. run, not shying away from that challenge because it will help you in the long run is really important. Yeah. But I feel like now, I mean, obviously we're in our early 20s, so now is like the best time to figure all of that stuff out yeah. so that we can, you know, set ourselves up you know, to be prepared for whatever it is yeah. that happens in the future yeah. because it's so uncertain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think truly, like, 
experimenting with all of those different outlets and figuring out what works for you is really important yeah and obviously like it's way easier said than done to just be like oh yeah like put yourself out there and everything will be great like of course no sometimes you're gonna put yourself out there and things are not gonna go the way that you imagined or you're not yeah. gonna click with people the way that you thought you would yeah but I feel like kind of viewing those as just getting one step closer to finding your people or to finding your interests is better yeah. than just like you know thinking of it as a failure because you know obviously that's not productive and not helpful for you which yeah. again all of this is so much easier said than done. But I feel like, you know, if you are able or are willing to take those steps to put yourself out there, you know, eventually you will, you know, you know figure it out. And you're but gonna yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a process and it's something that can be really frustrating to kind of have to sit back and trust the process. I hate it when people tell me that, but it they're not lying. It, it is true. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, you have to take responsibility and, like, you know, do what you need to do to get yourself in the right positions but ultimately I think things happen the way that they're supposed to in the end so mm -hmm. yeah. all right well that was this week's episode of not a girl boss you can follow us at not a girl boss pod on Instagram um, and we will be back next week for another episode yes we're very excited yes so bye, bye. <laughs>